0: dear listener and welcome to the child of the library podcast where we discover the words on our shelves and in our hearts as you have read in the title of this episode today we will leave behind germany or any english-speaking country and we will make a trip to china but not only today's China, but the Shanghai of the 1920s because I recently finished a book that I knew I was going to love, to be honest, which was These Violent Delights by Chloe Gong. (laughs) Do you know when you have a creative project, in my instance, this is this podcast and you have a plan for it, but then something comes your way and you completely change your plans in order to fit that thing in? Yeah, that's what happened to me with this book. Because for everyone who does not know, I used to live and work in China for overall seven months between 2010 and 2013. And when I read this book, I was instantly transported back i literally marked the first page in my book and wrote a note in the margin use for podcast so i basically decided on page one that i wanted to incorporate elements of this book in my next episode but don't worry i will not spoiler anything of the plot but what i will do is that i have my annotated copy in front of me and i have tabs in here where there are paragraphs within that i want to Reference that talk about the atmosphere and culture of China and then speak a bit about my own experience with that. In case you traveled or lived somewhere abroad at some point in your life, I really hope that you find a book that transports you and makes you relive a few of your best times there because for me, it was an absolutely incredible experience and I could hardly put the book down. So that's also another plus. One thing before I pick up my copy and get into the thick of things, I will probably divide this topic into different parts and episodes, because as you might remember, I asked you on Instagram whether you would like to hear more shorter or longer episodes, and a majority voted for the slightly shorter ones. And because everyone who knows me also knows that if I get started, I could talk on and on about China, it is probably better for you if I divide it a bit man so much happened to me there but anyways let's jump into the book first maybe to set the scene i will give you a short synopsis these violent delights by chloe gong is a romeo and juliet retelling set in the shanghai of the 1920s so while the west is experiencing its golden age shanghai emerges as a divided city after the opium wars But it is not only divided between the Chinese and the foreign countries that start to inhabit areas of the city. I don't know if everyone is familiar with that part of Chinese history, but maybe in reference to Shanghai, you might've heard already of the French concession. So that's definitely a hint there. But the Shanghai of the 1920s is also divided among two gangster clans that run the criminal underbelly. One of them is the Tsai family, a Chinese gang called the Scarlets with their heiress, Juliette, and they are in rivalry with the White Flowers, which is a Russian-influenced gang run by the Montagov family and their heir, Roma. So, for everyone who is a true detective here, you have already picked up on the several signs that this is a Romeo and Juliet retelling. But unlike the original, it is not solely focused on the romance, because the two characters actually have to do something for their money, which is to work together in the middle of their family's blood feud to fight a greater evil. The last book of this duology comes out in November this year, and I'm so excited for it. You cannot believe it. But now enough for the prologue, and let's get to the actual atmospheric descriptions of China in the book. Let me just quickly grab my copy. A bit of book ASMR here. So the first thing I tapped is, she hadn't understood that Shanghai was a foreign city in its own country. Now she did. The British ruled a chunk, the French ruled a chunk, the Russian white flowers were taking over the only parts that technically remained under Chinese governance so yeah i can definitely affirm that of course not for the 1920s but when i was in china in the 2010s i used to live basically most of the time in beijing but what i did is that i traveled and visited friends in shanghai so i got to experience the city also a bit through their eyes because they were living there and it was really remarkable to see how divided the city is not only in some cultural ways, but also especially in terms of architecture. I think the architecture is the one thing that really hits you head on when you go into that city. And throughout this book, I have not tapped them all because it would be redundant, but throughout this book, there are often references that, for example, the French concession is much neater, that it is kept cleaner for the foreigners, that the buildings are maybe not as crooked on the edges, but that they are very, very refined because so much money was swept in, in order to build them. And I can definitely affirm that, especially also with the little gardens and everything that was set out in the French concession. And of course, Shanghai now really benefits from that in some way because it makes the city very beautiful. But on the other hand, it also stands in stark contrast to the other parts of the city. Of course, Shanghai is this beaming and really blooming metropolitan city with its skyscrapers. It's absolutely remarkable. I remember when I was there, I went to the the bottle opener building. (laughs) I think this is probably one of the most iconic things that you can see in the Shanghai skyline. You can compare different skylines. There is nothing like this bottle opener building. (laughs) For everyone who might not know what I mean, you can go to my Instagram because there I did an illustration of one of the quotes here from the book that I'm currently reading to you. And there I also did a little shadowy illustration of the Shanghai skyline where you can actually see the bottle opener. And also on another post, Because when I was there in 2013, one of my friends took me on top of the bottle opener building so that I could look down on the city from another angle. So I also included a picture on there and it was absolutely remarkable because they also had a glass bottom in the walkway where i was going so i did not only look straight on and could see how far down it was but i could also look down and see how far down it was so that was definitely an incredible experience and when you stand there especially you see how very different the architecture is and Just seeing that now in the 2010s, I can definitely imagine how it was back then where there was also much more of a cultural influence that most of the Chinese people were even sometimes not allowed to enter these parks, which is absolutely incredible that something like this happened because it is their country and they were not allowed to enter certain parts of it because they were Chinese. It's absolutely unbelievable if you think about it, what happened in Shanghai back there. So yeah, definitely a divided city. So what's the next one? (laughs) Oh yeah. Or maybe he was just tired of having to sit at the head of the table, hearing everyone's gossip first thing in the morning. Before Juliet left, their dining table had been round, as Chinese tables rightfully should be. She suspected they had switched it up only to appeal to the Western visitors, who came through the Tsai house for meetings. But the result was messy. Family members unable to talk to who they wished, as they could if everybody was seated around a circle yes this is definitely something that you might have seen in your more authentic chinese restaurant to be honest at first when i came to china because this is not only focused within shanghai this is basically everywhere in the country i was Not really irritated, but I thought it funny that this is actually something that I knew from Germany, from the Chinese restaurants. And to be honest, if the table is not too wide, I can definitely see the appeal there. It was nice in the family circle or also when the circle was a bit wider, to be seated around a table. And what they often have is that in the middle, they've got this wooden rondo where you could put food on and you don't have to ask everyone like, hey, mom, can you pass me the butter? No, you just turn the rondo so that the butter comes to you and so that you can grab it. So that's definitely a big plus that I see in these tables. Of course, they are not as space saving, to be honest. So you definitely need to have a proper space in order to put it in your apartment. But because my family had that, it was a very, very nice addition. And it really did make talking much easier now that I think of it. But I remember once when I was in a restaurant, because so many people were talking and they were talking over each other's heads all the time. And because the tables were so big and so wide, so there were a lot of people seated around those circles it was very very noisy and to be honest at some point i could not even hear my little host sister who sat directly next to me it was really crazy but overall i can totally understand that and going back to the 1920s to see how much the culture of one even of one of the most influential Chinese families of that city that even they let go of that tradition in order to fit in with the Western standards so that they are not appalled when they come there for meetings, etc. This was really something that struck me because it really shows how very dependent the chinese were back then also from the trade with the foreign forces but also how much influence was put on them even though they might not even have wanted it so Yeah, definitely, definitely a hard time. But you can see how very well these little elements are woven into the overall story. They are not like info dumpy. They come at exactly the right places to give you a feeling of the overall atmosphere. But for everyone who has been to China, they really give you a twinkle in the eye because yeah, they really fit perfectly. So the next one starts in the middle of a sentence. So Juliet says, You'll learn, Mr. Dexter, that when you assume someone cannot speak English right off the bat, they tend to make fun of you. So yeah, this comes from the background that Juliet is brought up multilingual. So she speaks very different languages, which is something that I really, really enjoyed about this book because when I grew up and when I was in school, one of my big focuses was on language. So to see multilingual characters, is something that you don't really get to see, especially not in English literature. So yeah, I really, really enjoyed that part. And to be honest, sometimes this used to happen with me and Chinese because when you are in China and you are a foreigner, very often they assume that you don't know any chinese and then they are happy when they find out that you actually can speak chinese to a certain degree but when you are in another country like for example germany people never assume that you know the language and when you pass by Chinese people or when they stand next to you and they talk about something or they make a joke and you start to laugh like along to yourself or I remember one person in China used to tell me there's a big difference because when you look at someone's eyes you see whether they comprehend what you just said or whether they don't and very often when people see that look of comprehension on my face or also on the faces of my friends when we were in china there was definitely some confusion and of course back then it used to happen the other way around. I mean Juliet and many of the younger members of the Tsai family really are very well educated in terms of languages because they have to understand All the foreign forces in order to run their business but very often the foreign forces do not assume that they know the language so well because of course the average person in a country does not speak several languages totally fluently so yeah definitely can affirm that and it's also funny when it works the other way around The next one is actually one of my favorite quotes. It's, the wood of those doors imported from some distant nation was carved with traditional Chinese calligraphy, poems that Juliet had memorized a long time ago. This house was a mirror of the city. It was a fusion of East and West, unable to let go of the old, but desperate to mimic the new. And just like the city, the architecture of this house didn't quite meld well with itself this is something that i saw in beijing especially because in beijing of course because i lived there a lot longer I used to walk there and experience the city firsthand through walking, which I quite enjoyed. And in Beijing and I think in general, every big metropolitan city within China, it is very intense how stark the contrast is between the traditional that is kept and the new Western influence that came in or the Western inspiration that was taken in order to design the cityscape. What could happen to you in Beijing is that you walk out of a skyscraper, you turn a corner, and then suddenly you are in a Hutong village. For everyone who does not know what a Hutong is, it's basically a traditional Chinese home, which does not have several floors. It just has one floor and very often also like a tiny little garden in the middle. And it in some cases also does not even have its own bathroom. So you have to go to a public bathroom in the Hutong village. So of course that's not in every village of those, but like this is the very traditional way and because one of my very good friends at some points used to live in one of those hutong villages. I used to walk a lot through those and through those neighborhoods. And it was really, really a very stark contrast, especially because those hutong buildings are so old. But because they are so old and they preserve the old culture so well, you really don't want them to be shut down and that they just build another skyscraper on top of it because they really are very beautiful and i have seen very often that those old hutongs get a makeover and then they are really really beautiful because they are new but they still preserve the old architecture and the old feeling and overall vibe of China. For everyone who is interested in that, please Google Hutong Village China, because then you will get a feeling of what I mean, and then put that in the direct proximity of a giant skyscraper. And you will see what I mean by this. And also when you walk into a Chinese family home, you definitely see those different influences. I mean, sometimes depending on whether someone is really interested in Asia, you also get to see it in our apartments. I mean, on my bookshelf, I even have a little clay warrior that I bought in Xi'an when I actually saw the real clay warriors. And of course, when you are interested in something like that, Asian influences find their way into your apartment as well. But also the other way around, Western influences definitely come into the traditional Chinese home and change it compared to what it was before. So yeah, I can definitely relate to Juliet. And the last quote that I want to read is actually the one that inspired this whole episode. And that is the one on the first page. This place hums to the tune of debauchery. This city is filthy and deep in the thrall of unending sin. So saturated with the kiss of decadence that the sky threatens to buckle and crush all those living vivaciously beneath it in punishment. But no punishment comes, not yet. The decade is loose and the morals are looser. As the West throws its arms up in unending party, as the rest of the Middle Kingdom remains splintered among aging warlords and the remnants of Imperial rule, Shanghai sits in its own little bubble of power. The Paris of the East, the New York of the West. Despite the toxin trickling from every dead-ended alleyway, this place is so, so very alive. And the monster too is birthed anew. To be honest, I mean, you can hear from the way of writing that Chloe Gong really has a good hand in writing in a very flowery way. I mean, when you hear this, you see that for Chloe Gong, it was very important that she captures the feeling and uses her way of writing which i personally find very lyrical and very beautiful to really make the reader experience what she sees in the shanghai of the 1920s of course this story and she also says this in the author's note at the end is not a complete historical retelling of something that happened it's definitely not that there's a lot of fantastical elements in there but the overall vibe that she gives with those descriptions and especially that first part when i read this i was so transported to the shanghai of the 1920s and i really got the feeling of those gangster clans betting against each other how the city was torn in so many ways how it tried to find its new profile so yeah if you might not have heard it from my voice and from the pure fact that i have made an episode purely because of this book please read it it's a great recommendation from me especially if you are interested in china if you have been to china maybe before or even if you just want a good romeo and juliet retelling please read it it's a very big recommendation of course maybe some of the elements might not be for everyone at some times throughout the book i was also yeah questioning (laughs) some of the decisions that some of the characters made but I cared so so much for them and I think it's beautiful when something like this happens with a book that you really care for the characters and on the other hand really are transported to a country that is so very different from your own thanks so much for tuning into this episode I hope you enjoyed our little trip to China of the past and of the present. Stay tuned for the next installment in this little China X These Violent Delights series because to be honest, these were just five quotes and I have so many tabs. Of course, I don't want to go into too much detail, but throughout the book, there are so many more very nice quotes and I just want to tell you about some of them. Of course, never with the spoiler of the actual plot, but as you know, I could talk so much about china and what i experienced there so yeah stay tuned for the next part both in terms of podcast episode but also in terms of the actual books because as i said the sequel and the last part of this duology comes out in november and until next time i hope that we discover the words on our shelves and in our hearts bye <laughs>